Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Josh Haven, who says pornography should be banned because it's a menace to individuals and society. With all those factors combined, pornography is is destabilizing the way that um, people relate to themselves. It harms, it it rewires the the male brain. It it, it affects women as well, but there are documented studies on how it rewires the brain circuitry to, to not function well and yeah, those are reasons that I think the state should regard it as a public health crisis re- requiring some kind of action to degrade and destroy pornography. Josh Haven, next. Dr. Josh Haven says pornography is so harmful and its effects are so far-reaching, he believes it destabilizes individuals, human culture, and civilization. With that in mind, he's written the piece, Ban porn now. Josh Haven is a deacon and curate at an Anglican church in Texas. Josh, why did you write this piece and why now? Pornography has existed in some form or another forever almost, as long as just about as long as humans have been able to make images. And in the United States, especially in the 20th century, you find a series of Supreme Court cases, especially in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, about whether or not individuals have rights to own obscene material in their private homes. And a lot of the forms of pornography that that um, were discussed at that time were movies or magazines and images. And there have simply been vast technological changes in the last couple of decades through the, the advent of the internet and digital technology providers and consumers can be in simpatico and th- mm-hmm. there can be th- there have emerged these new forms of pornography that are also just more prevalent than was previously imaginable that just about everybody has a smartphone in their pocket and even very young children have access to dangerous and ba- and damaging and harmful material and um, there's a lot of harm done when especially children are exposed to pornography at a young age, but also even to adults and especially to men. And partly what this essay tried to explore was how pornography affects men, but not merely as private individuals at a societal and civilizational level. Your title is Ban Porn Now, and you're you're talking about some kind of state action needs to be taken. And again, we'll talk about some of the, the, the reasons why, but I mean, realistically, you, you, you have concerns about censorship and the First Amendment and, and of course, the, the prevalency uh, of, uh, of pornography. Uh, talk about uh, what you have in mind when you say ban porn now. Pornography, I, I think, needs to be recognized as something like a public health crisis, as, as a menace to society. Um, I think that for especially people I think for people on both ends of the political spectrum, there can be there would be opposition to a call for a ban on pornography. But I also suspect that on both ends of the political spectrum, there should be support for this. So if you are a Republican who's very libertarian minded and your greatest fear is the state imposing on your personal liberty, this will sound like a terrifying idea because mm-hmm. how's the state going to define pornography and what if it's what is that going to mean for my personal liberty would be a concern. Likewise, for uh, more more liberal-minded people, um, th- there would be the fear that this is some kind of religious um, caliphate, you know, imposing uh, um, imposing on personal liberty. But if you go back, even even in the history of of leftist thinking in the United States, 
there there were radical feminist thinkers like Andrea Dworkin in the 1970s and 1980s who who criticized her feminist peers for their celebration of pornography. Um, for in, for some liberals, um, pornography was seen as a kind of liberation of women's sexuality from patriarchal suppression in, in past centuries. And Andrea Dworkin looked around and said, "This isn't. She's she's not like a Christian conservative saying this. She's she's a feminist saying this is not a liberation of women. This is an objectification of women. And she um, even had." was a part of some proceedings, uh, a commission from the United States government to, um, she, she testified um, on, on Capitol Hill about the harms done to women through pornography, um, through um, actual actors in pornography who were harmed, but also when men watch pornography and learn how to relate to women from it. Likewise, kind of on the horseshoe other side of the political spectrum, I think that religious conservatives who care about the family as an institution should recognize that pornography is a serious threat and danger. Um, recently, there's been confusion about this. Um, I, in the essay, I, I critique um, both liberals, who contemporary liberals such as Bernadette Barton. She wrote a book called The Pornification of America, which is really good on how um, – and where she criticizes – pornography as misogynistic, harming women, but she thinks there can be a positive form of erotic material, and I think that that fails to recognize it. It always leads to objectifying people for one's self-gratification. And there have also been conservatives such as Dennis Prager and even Tucker Carlson and his promotion of Andrew Tate who have softened, softened or been confused about whether or not pornography is inherently harmful. And what I'm calling for in the essay and saying ban porn now and calling for state action, as you asked about in the question, mm -hmm. is that I, I think that pornography needs to be seen as, as a menace to our civilization. And what precisely that might consist of in terms of a political um, action, I don't feel the need to specify in detail. Something like what Andrea Dworkin was criticizing of um, the production of pornography regarding pornographers as being subject to, um, to certain legal penalties, I think is appropriate. But certainly um, there are things like Pornhub and OnlyFans websites that um, are just exclusively devoted to, to pornography. And if people don't know who are listening, if they've never heard of OnlyFans and don't know what some of this stuff is, pornography today isn't just a Playboy magazine or um, you know, a professional movie studio making a movie. Anyone with a smartphone can record themselves and upload their own videos onto websites where they charge money to subscribers to watch. So even very young underage girls will create pornographic material of themselves and put it on the internet. And from there, it just spreads, it spreads like wildfire. And it, um, social media sites such as Twitter, for example, allow pornographic material on the site. Hmm. Um, there's there are some social media sites such as Instagram which try to suppress it. But with all those factors combined, pornography is is destabilizing the way that um, people relate to themselves. It harms it it rewires the the male brain. It um, it, it it affects women as well. But there are documented studies of how it rewires the brain circuitry to to not function well and yeah those are reasons that i think the state should regard it as a public health crisis re requiring some kind of action to degrade and destroy pornography well that, that's a great introduction and uh, you're obviously as you said you're con concerned about the effects on on men particularly in, in this piece uh, you don't really touch on women uh, quite as much why is why is it 
more focused on men. Men are not the only people who consume pornography. And I don't want to give that impression or speak about this solely as a, a male issue. But studies do show that the consumers of pornography are disproportionately male. And in this piece, I especially wanted to explore the relationship between contemporary challenges of being a man and how pornography harms men. One of the things I discuss is in, in, in the article is that it's very confusing about what it fundamentally means to be a man today. There are a lot of good things about the modern world with penicillin, with mm-hmm. air conditioning. I'm thankful for all of that. Right. But for one of the first times in history, birth rates are in significant decline in a lot of places. Why are, why are families not being formed? Why are babies not being born? Um, why are countries having anxiety about whether or not there will be enough workers in a few decades to support elderly people? Um, th- those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Pornography is not the sole reason why um, men are confused about what it means to be a man or why birth rates are – the institution of the family is, is not what it used to be. But pornography is certainly a harmful factor in forging men of character and of virtue. After the critiques of traditional forms of patriarchy and masculinity, some of which are valid, um, it's not that everything that's ever gone before in the history of masculinity has been good. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to give that impression, but it's hard to define what manhood is today. And I I would – Giving my own constructive account of that's beyond our our time here today, but it's hard to define what are the things that make a man a man. And it and if you just say something like, oh, it's being courageous or it's being sacrificial, if those are also things that women can do, then what makes it inherently masculine? What, mm-hmm. what does it mean to be a man? And anxiety about not wanting to be patriarchal or misogynistic gives men a lot of confusion. A lot of men also just feel adrift in the modern world. Feel um, that. Um, and there's always been problems of hopelessness. You can go read Solomon and Ecclesiastes sure. struggling with whether or not all is meaningless and life is just chasing the wind. But in the contemporary world, um, a lot of men are struggling. Way more women go to college than men. Um, there, there are significant uh, rates of depression and deaths of despair is a, is a disproportionately male problem. And pornography gives – struggling men an illusion of what it means to be a man that's a destructive illusion um it can give a a personal sense of self-importance or control when people when when men who are disillusioned with life watch pornography often they're not truly getting some exhilarating thrilling fun time they are just kind of numbing themselves from feeling anything and um pornography in that way is kind of like a black hole it's it's an it, it it's a privation it's it's sucking the good things out of god's created world our, our our especially for men our manhood our masculinity our bodies our sexuality were created good by god to have purposes of glorifying god and pornography robs us of all of that it is um an illusion that seems real, that promises life, but actually holds out death to us. And um, part of the heart of um, the argument that I'm, I'm getting at in that is that even if you're not a Christian, even even if you are not a religious person at all, you should recognize that pornography teaches men to have a distorted view of themselves, a distorted view of what they're worth, and a distorted view of what women are worth, and that is harmful to society. When everyone is, when, when citizens are formed to live in a society who are being 
who are being trained for life by pornography, that is destructive. That's kind of the heart of the essay. Separately, on this, on this, in this context of this conversation here, I want to say as a Christian that um, the goal of the Christian life is to have conformity to Christ. And pornography is, is an excellent example of how – of the myth of trying to, to be our own masters, to, to separate ourselves off from everyone else, not being ordered towards life with God and others, but um, try, trying to have a kind of godlike existence for ourselves where we just use other people for our own ends, and it always leads to harm to ourselves and others. The piece is Ban Porn Now, and it's found at Mere Orthodoxy. My guest is the author, Dr. Josh Haven. He uh, is a curate and a deacon at an Anglican church in the Dallas area. So in, in terms of the effects, and, and, and you're talking at least mostly toward men at this point, Josh, that, as you say, may view uh, hundreds of pornographic images regularly. The effect that it has, I mean, there are some just some practical effects on what on uh, thought processes on uh, I mean there's there's a whole addiction issue which is pretty well uh, understood and acknowledged at this point I, I mean there's all kinds of practical negatives that, uh, that tend to flow out of out of that uh, involvement with pornography yes in 2018 the World Health Organization concluded that the research is clear that pornography use is harmful to the brain um, we know that it um, impairs decision making. It, it desensitizes men and, and and all of its users. But I'm I'm especially thinking about men in the context of this single essay. It de- it desensitizes them to pleasure in life in general. And again, part of the challenge I think today is that we are not dealing with the same kind of challenges posed by historic forms of pornography. So Jesus in the gospel according to to Matthew says that you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. And I say to you that if anyone looks at a woman with lustful intent in his heart, that's that's adultery. That's the same thing. He's committed adultery in his heart. And you can picture yourself in the ancient world, no digital screens, no magazines, and there being an attractive woman that you lust after. And that's kind of something you can imagine. And even in the 20th century, when there are Playboy magazines at the local gas station or the, the corner market, there was like a, the, the emergence of widely accessible forms of obscene material that was never possible before. And the world that we live in today, after the, the advent of the smartphone, is just a completely alien landscape um, where at any time anyone can access – not just images, but videos, and even through, as, as I was talking about with OnlyFans, you can kind of, uh, th- there's there's an article in 1848 magazine uh, that is published by The Economist in, in, in the UK, and they profiled what the, the site OnlyFans is as a kind of subscriber um, platform where you can pay to have a kind of ongoing relationship with a kind of fake girlfriend, fake, uh, almost like a prostitute, with with a pornographer whose whose material you subscribe to to have a kind of relationship with, and the, I think it's appropriate to call to call such a thing their hyper reality. Hyper reality is something that was talked about in the 20th century by scholars of art and and media and communication forms, and that's when a sign 
kind of takes on a life of its own. So a, a sign is supposed to point to something else, and it's to, it's to refer you to something else. But what when when that relationship becomes distorted between sign and the thing signified, what is what is actually fake can seem more real than the the real thing itself and distort the um, reality. So what happens with pornography today is that when a huge portion of the male population begins looking at pornography at a young age as as teenagers or even as younger children, and then they grow up and they try to relate to women, they have learned how to relate to women through pornography, sometimes in, in violent forms, which which is harmful, or just in simply self, self-gratifying, objectify another person forms, as opposed to learning the, the discipline of ordering oneself to the good of others and, and to the good of, of new life as the point of human sexuality, um, that the Lord blessed Adam and Eve made in his image and told them to be fruitful and multiply. His God's blessing upon the institution of human sexuality was that it would lead to, to flourishing a new life. And so what what I try to call for at the end of the essay is a kind of counter-programming um, from within the church. Mm-hmm. You know, calling for state action to degrade and destroy p- pornography, I think genuinely should have support from religious right conservatives and progressives who are against misogyny. But that will, will certainly be unpopular to people concerned about freedom of speech, etc. And we can't count on any state action taking place. If it's not, then the the church needs to be prepared to train men for virtue in the context of this new in, environment uh, created by by pornography. We can, we can talk more about that. Well, I'm curious then. So you, you I think you even use the phrase the unique role or the unique opportunity of the church of the Christian church, even of the community of the Christian church, to speak into this. Uh, area and you raise um, uh, biblical metaphors of the Christian life, like it's a it's a battleground. Of course, we have the spiritual warfare uh, uh, idea. Well, the, the the truth of the spiritual warfare in the in the book of Ephesians, and and uh, that the church is a beacon, and and uh, and all of that. Can you talk about that? What what do you see as the role of the church? What, how can the church be involved in this area? And it, I mean, and it's anybody's guess. Only the Lord knows how what kind of inroads. Uh, pornography uh, is making among uh, believers. Pornography can be the source of tremendous shame in a person's life who is a part of it. And it can especially be something that people are terrified to talk about with other people, to let them know that, that they are struggling with. And the church certainly needs to have a hospitable environment of, of welcoming um, people to follow Christ, um, something like the metaphor of a, a field hospital, a field hospital mm-hmm. for men whose lives have been destroyed by pornography, whose marriages are suffering under pornography, and whose whose mental imagination has been furnished by um, a, a kind of darkness through pornography. But the church also has has a unique opportunity um, in the. If you look at the history of Christian formation, I think that you could think about maybe three big phases in it. So in the earliest centuries of the church, people were trying to learn how to be Christians in the context of the pagan Greco-Roman world. So when Paul goes to Corinth and announces that Jesus is Lord, a lot of people might have thought, okay, Jesus is one more God on the shelf next to Zeus and Mm -hmm. all the rest of them. And it took a lot of work to say, no, 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 it's something other than that. And then uh, during the time of the Protestant Reformation, there was a lot, 
there was a, a new context of Protestants and Roman Catholics each vying to form people to either be Roman Catholic or be Protestant. And that's when a lot of the great catechisms of the church were, were written. And they focused on those kinds of issues. You know, the Protestants and Catholics basically agreed about the doctrine of the Trinity, but they disagreed a ton about justification and the sacraments and the rest of it. So the church talked a ton about those things. I think in our context today, we are closer to something like the early church's context of being in a pagan environment, but it's like a neo-pagan environment. It's a culture that at one time had a Christian influence upon it, but is increasingly secularizing. And we need to train people to be prepared to follow Christ in a, in a culture that will find the gospel almost unintelligible to it. When we t- talk about the ordering one's life and self and sexuality towards the created goods God made them for, that is just completely crazy to our to our neighbors. And we have to find bridges to talk to people about that. One of the ways that Gregory of Nyssa in the early church, in that, in that context of trying to help people become Christians in a pagan context, one of the metaphors he used was that of a workshop. Um, hmm. Discipleship as a kind of apprenticeship, having people... Um, not as something that you just learn from reading a book or one essay on mereorthodoxy.com, mm-hmm. but something that uh, you, you pick up as you watch a kind of a skilled practitioner and, and you, you take it with them. And for men in particular, men are desperate today for guidance. I think one of the delusions of, of the modern world has been that um, we will be truly alive when we're free from restrictions being placed upon us. Um, you know, we all have a deep yearning to be free and to belong, and those things are in tension with one another. The more free you are, you probably belong less to anything, and the more to truly belong to something, you might have to assimilate your freedom to belong to it. And a lot of men in a world without moral norms or where everyone just decides for themselves what is right don't find that freeing. They, they find it uh, life feeling pointless and life feeling um, unmoored, like I'm just a, being blown about and w- with no direction or purpose. So um, popular speakers such as Jordan Peterson, lo- love him or hate him, Things, th- the thing that a lot of young men find compelling in him is him saying, here are some rules for life. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say, as a, a minister of the gospel, people need more than just rules and structure. They need the grace of God that's only found in Christ. But we also are are um, initiated in the Christian life into being um, part of this workshop of virtue being formed in us. One of the biggest ways that the early church talked about the goal of the Christian life is seeing God, seeing the face of God in eternity um, at, at that um after we die or when Christ returns at the resurrection, that we would behold God. And it's more than just a visual sight with your eyes. It's encountering the heart of reality, um, God God in himself, the, the, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think that that's, that's one of the reasons that our Lord Jesus in, in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they, they shall see God. And that's something that we should be calling men towards, is the rigorous challenge of having virtue formed in us, um, depriving ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up the cross. The Lord has given us this strange cross to bear in our lives with respect to our sexuality. Whether we're married or whether we're single, there's there's one context in which sexuality is licit in the Christian life, and that is in the marriage between a husband and a wife with its with a goal of producing children. And we are called to live chastely. We are called to submit ourselves and our sexuality towards the the ends towards which God created us. And that should be an exhilarating uh, vision 
um, that's a that is a more um, there's more honor in that vision than the kinds of um, cheap forms of masculinity that you see running around. Like I, in our essay, I criticize Andrew Tate for what he he promotes as an ultra luxurious lifestyle, which is just kind of gratify yourself to no end, and that's what it means to be a man. And that should be mocked. That's that is childish. Becoming a man means learning. Um, your responsibility towards other people and the honor of uh, that that comes with applying yourself and even depriving yourself for the good of others. Well, of course, there's so much more should be said. And you also, I think, you point out in your uh, article that uh, the importance of recapturing a humane vision of men and women created in the image of God that that can obviously be completely lost uh, when people are objectified, as you say, forgetting that. Uh, they, we are all created in God's image. That is a huge thing to emphasize. Um, that is one of the things that makes pornography so bad. Because I, I, again, can envision someone listening to this saying, what's the big deal if I look at pornography on my own time and the privacy of my own home? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the government has no business be, um, caring about what I do in the privacy of my own home. And I do want to say that there is a certain place for um individual liberty and, and um, privacy. I'm not like a, a total opponent of such notions, but it is, an, it, it, is, it is delusional to think that we are just an island unto ourselves. And what I'm doing with my own self is not part of a broader society of, of which I'm a part and is also not going to have any effects on anyone else. I would encourage uh, such a such a person with that concern to think about pornography as a kind of corrupted form of spiritual formation. It's a it's a habit that people do regularly and it trains you to think about yourself a certain way and to think about other people a certain way and of, of what kinds of bodies are of value and what kinds of bodies are not of value, it, it will always have effects outside of the the privacy of your own home and the time you're viewing it. It And it will lead people to have different aspirations for life. I can envision a young man addicted to pornography going through the, the, the truly serious challenge of overcoming that addiction, of slaying the dragon, and realizing that he has aspirations in his life that pornography was suppressing. And he goes out and finds the courage to talk to a real woman with all of her imperfections, and they get to know one another and have a family or something like that. I do think that pornography, I think there, are, I can think of real examples of people I know that pornography harms their their sense of self-value and of their value to other people as well. Um, so if we recapture a vision that all people have inherent value, dignity, worth, and purpose because they're all made in the image of God, that will be for the good not only of men but of women as well. Um, you know, pornography especially teaches people that um, sex is mainly about ourselves and um, sex is mainly about self-gratification. And a Christian vision of life has an entirely different um, goal than just self-gratification. That, that, that's what would give my life meaning. Your life instead finds meaning by sharing in the life of God and, and sharing in life with others, even if it means denying ourselves and taking up our cross. That is a, that is a better and more enduring joy than the, the, what Hebrews 11 calls the fleeting pleasures of sin. Any last thoughts as we wrap up? 
If you're talking to a young person, they have probably viewed pornography or they're probably struggling with addiction to pornography. Um, especially for young men, it, it is that common. It is that widespread. Um, so it should be spoken about in a manner that's pastorally sensitive to that. But also that means we need to use frank and um, direct language about how harmful it is and how there is hope for healing and freedom in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, that, that'd be the last thing that I'd like to say, that if you're listening to this and you're struggling with pornography, you are not doomed to be enslaved by it forever. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you to realize the resurrection life of Jesus in your life. Um, just knowing that alone isn't going to stop a deeply formed habit in your life, but there is not just um, a new way of thinking or, you know, um, there's not just uh, a, a quick program. There is life from the dead in Jesus Christ for you. And I would encourage you to um, seek that out in, in your local church um, with, with your pastor and to, to, to seek the help of others. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Josh Haven, a curate at an Anglican church in Texas and author of the piece, Ban Porn Now. You can read it at mereorthodoxy.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at this same time for another edition of His People.